Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, we're making easy schemes and hard choices with the leader of the Golden Deer. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Anna. I'm Caleb. And I'm Marnie. And today, we have a special guest on the show. Joe Zija is a voice actor, author, and in true Lore Party fashion, a lover of great stories. If you're listening to this, you probably know him as the master tactician Claude Von Regan. So, Joe, for our listeners who may not know, tell us who you are and what you do. I thought you did a pretty good job. Uh, my name is Joe Zija. I'm a voice actor here in Los Angeles. Uh, I've had a kind of a weird life. I'm actually an um, Air Force veteran. So that, that's not like, I guess, a typical career pattern to get into voice acting. But yeah, so I was in the Air Force for a while, most of my adult life, and then kind of discovered voice acting. Stumbled into it, moved out to L.A., and uh, that's what I do every day now. How did you get the role of Claude? You know, everyone asks these, this question and they're expecting like, you know, I swung from a rope and crashed into a stained glass window and all of a sudden the role of Claude was there for me. But really like the, the way it happened is uh, a studio sent me an audition and I sent it back to them and then they were like, you book Claude. So it's really like not that super cool of a story, but you know, most, of the, most roles end up kind of boring. Yeah. Did you have an interest in the Fire Emblem franchise before you got this role? I had, by chance, played Fire Emblem Awakening maybe, let's say, two years prior. Um, just kind of like I had never been in, uh, introduced to the series. And um, I asked somebody, I was like, hey, I've always wanted to try Fire Emblem. I like SRPGs. Where should I start? And I said Awakening. So I played it and I enjoyed it. But other than that, I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't been like a long time fan or anything like that. Just uh, just awakening. So how much of the story did you know when you were recording Claude's voice? Like, did you know what was going on in the other characters storylines? One of the really cool things about Fire Emblem Three Houses and the way that it was recorded is that we always had a lot of context. You don't always have context as a voice actor of what's going on. What are the other people? Who are the other people? How do you feel about the other people? All things that make us as humans in real life, they're the ones that determine how we act. But in Fire Emblem, they went through great pains to make sure that we knew exactly who we were talking to and why. Patrick Seitz is a brilliant director. He had everything in his head like a Bible. And um, it was great. He, he was able to kind of link everything up. In some instances, which again is, is rare for most video games, they would play me in into a conversation with somebody else's lines. You know, like, so if I was talking to 
uh, who knows, Sedeth or, or whatnot in a scene, then they would play Mark's lines and I would be able to actually hear Mark's performance if he recorded first. Um, so I did know a lot of the story, but I didn't know a whole lot of it ahead of time. I understood like there's an academy phase and there's a war phase and then everything kind of goes south at some point. Um, but uh, scene to scene, I really did know what was going on. Yeah, and it sounds like that is unique or different than other experiences you've had voice acting. For sure. I've, you know, you never know what you're going to walk into when you walk into the booth. I remember there was a game I recorded for many years ago, um, and they were like, okay, and I'm making this up because I don't remember it, like, okay, you're a Merfle. And I was like, that's cool. What's a Merfle? And the director's like, I have no idea. <laughs> is it a big thing? Is it a small thing? Is it a violent thing? Like, what kind of thing is it? And he's like, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm, and I was like, oh, okay. So like, that's the complete opposite end of the spectrum where you have no idea what's going on and definitely, definitely happens. So the more context that you can get as an actor, the better. I always I tell people like, if you have no context and the line is, what did you say? Right? You could say that line like eight different ways. You could be offended. Like, what did you say? Or you can be like, you know, if like there's a combine going off the bat, like, what did you say? It's all different. Uh, and, uh, and that context is super important. Most of the time you have what you need. It's it's rare when, you know, you don't know what a Merfle is. But uh, yeah, it's it, it was nice. I, recording Fire Emblem was a luxury, I thought. Yeah, you kind of touched on how having that context can really help you make decisions of how to say certain lines but what other types of decisions go into bringing this type of character to life? You know, when I'm trying to build a character, I try to build it as, as organically as possible. Um, you know, I was an author before I was a, an actor, and, and I always think that there's a sort of order to things, whereas the, the setting sort of gives birth to the characters, because all of us are sort of products of our environment in one way or another. Um, and that gives birth to the motives and that gives birth to the plot. So I try to rely very heavily on, you know, where a character is, what that society is like, and what his role in that society is. And that usually gives me a pretty good idea of, you know, like, what does he think about that society? Is he, is it, does it make him bitter? Is he jaded? Um, is he, you know, is he going to take advantage of the system and, and, and game the system? Those mixing of character and environment usually bring about a, a solid character. And on kind of a different note, you know, this game has drawn a huge community and it's very popular. Was there a moment when you realized the game was going to be a huge hit? I didn't really fully understand how big of a community the Fire Emblem fandom was. And I didn't understand how big of a, a game Fire Emblem Three Houses was going to be until about maybe six months before the game was released. I was sitting on break in the studio, Cup of Tea, where I recorded the game. And me and Patrick Seitz were sitting there just talking about whatever. And he was like, have you seen the fan art? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, have you seen the fan art of your character? I was like, the game's not out yet, man. What are you talking about? Why, why are people drawing? How do they even know? Like, I just was very not on the pulse of it. So at that point, when like we couldn't r run out of fan art to share in a 15-minute break, I was like, oh, this is, this is a big thing. Um, so yeah, I really wasn't totally aware until maybe just a couple months before the game came out. Um, and when we were allowed to announce our roles, that's when it really, really hit. 
when I announced a role and like I just got this gigantic response from the community, which was very welcoming and very loving, that's when I kind of was like, okay, we are off to the races. And that's definitely cool because like you've been you've been streaming, you've been doing like a bunch of this uh, really cool stuff, just kind of like involved with that game and uh, with that community with it. And as of now, you're about halfway through, what is it, your second streamed run of the game? Yeah. And that's actually part of what I wanted to talk about, or part of what we wanted to talk about today, because the, I mean, I don't know about uh, Anna and Marty necessarily, but I do know that some of what I, you've talked about on stream has actually changed how I personally see a lot of parts of the game and kind of what we were hoping to um, explore some of today, which is how there's that central theme in Three Houses of there being a conflict between ideals and relationships and the different ways that the characters in it are approaching those conflicts and the different forms it takes in um, the different routes. And like pretty much every major route of the game in some way involves Byleth and the house leader being drawn one way or another into that conflict that pits them against the people they care about and the conflicting ideals. Yeah. And Joe, I really liked what you were saying earlier about how the society that they're all in is affecting the individual characters. Um, I think that like, as Caleb's saying, each of the house leaders have really prime examples of that. So like Dimitri, for instance, obviously he lost his family. Um, he's going through grief at this time of also trying to become a leader. And you see how him trying to deal with the loss of his family and also trying to do what's best for his country and his people are kind of clashing. And then eventually this this desire that he has to do what's right or what he believes is right based on the information that he has really like comes head to head with his past with Edelgard. Um, and so I'm curious, Joe, um, I first have a confession to make. I am the only person on this call who has not played a Golden Deer run. That's all right. Um, Save the best for last. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> they all hold a special place in my heart. But I am really curious how you think this plays out in Claude's story, this kind of back and forth between ideals and then the the personal relationships that, that the leader has. I think that Fire Emblem Three Houses ultimately, at its core, is a game about perspective. I don't know many other games that have such a high replay value. It's particularly like not... You know, here's a hundred hour game that's worth playing three and a half, four times or whatever. In in Claude's route, one of the interesting things that I found was that when you're playing in the Golden Deer, or really any of the routes, you don't have a clear view of the other two perspectives. And so that colors your opinion of everybody else's motivations. You're looking at Dimitri and if you're just playing, if you're just playing Golden Deer, you look at Dimitri and you're like, wow, that guy's completely off, out of his mind. Like he, he's completely out of his mind. He's, he's, he's like, um, he's totally cracked and, you know, he shouldn't be in charge of a kingdom almost like that. Right. You look at Edelgard and you're like, wow, this person is a despot and a tyrant and uh, they'll do whatever it takes to, to get what they want. It, it seems very, you know, self-motivated by structure and power and, and consolidation and you don't have any idea why they're doing what they're doing, you only see how it affects you and why you're doing what you're doing. So from Claude's perspective, if my goal 
is to make is to erase borders, unify unify Fodlin, and sort of mix the mixing pot even further. Those other two are really in the way, <laughs> like really in the way, and so you're forced to sort of weigh their motivations and their perspective against your own, and that skews it. You you can no longer be an objective party. You have to, if you're if you're rooting for Claude, you are therefore rooting against everybody else. And you will subconsciously, no matter what you're doing, you will find reasons to criticize their path. You will criticize them. You will criticize their motivations so that you can feel better about the path that you're on. And we do this in real life. This is the way that we manage our relationships in real life. You know, if you have someone that is diametrically opposed to what you're doing in life, um, you will develop biases against them and against what they are trying to do because it's in the way of sort of your ambitions. It's a really cool model for how relationships work in real life at, at many different scales, not just, you know, kingdom to kingdom, but person to person or even couple to couple. Uh, it's just a really cool way to explore perspective. And that's one of the reasons I really respect uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses and the writers and what they did with the game. Yeah, I love that. And I think that something that's really interesting about the way that you're playing through and the way that you're going back and playing through is that you're now exploring these other stories of the two other leaders and now that will kind of color your understanding of Claude's route. Do you think that based on what you've learned so far about the other leaders that the limited amount of information you had as Claude colored the the way that you created that character and brought him to life? Um, it might have. I didn't understand why Edelgard did what she did until after I'd completed the first Golden Deer run. Like, it was even that late. Although I knew exactly, you know, I had all the context for what Claude was doing. I really didn't understand why Dimitri lost his mind or why Edelgard was doing what she was doing. You know, for me in the booth, it was like, no, these are the bad guys. Like, this is, they're, like I was saying before, like, they're in my way. And now that I'm playing Black Eagles... It's actually difficult to shift, more difficult to shift perspectives than I thought it was because I was so steeped in Golden Deer that now when I'm in Black Eagles, I almost feel like an outsider peeking in. Uh, and it's still easy for me to be like, Edelgard, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how you, yeah. Like, okay, break some eggs to get an omelet, but you don't have to blow up the chicken farm. <laughs> like, really? So there, there are lots of times where uh, uh, it, it is still... Because I, I, you know, I can't erase that perspective. I can be as open as I can, but I can never be truly objective. And that's not just because I was the voice of Claude. It's because I have an experience with the Golden Deer route. Uh, and I think I'd actually be curious if any of you guys have played multiple routes, which one did you start with? And then like, how did that make you feel about the second route? Because I'm, I still feel like I'm looking through Claude's eyes in Black Eagles. Yeah, so... I started with Golden Deer, but was playing with my husband, and then he decided to finish the game without me, which, you know, it's fine. It, that's okay. Um, so I know a great I marriage kind of, counselor. I'll, I'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, then decided, having like some of the context of the Golden Deer, I decided that my, my first official run-through would be Edelgard's route. So like similar to your mindset kind of of the why you chose to do Edelgard's route 
in that I just wanted to understand Edelgard. And so I was like, I know there must be more to her story that we're not getting. So then I played as Edelgard. Um, and then I did Blue Lions. And then I came back to Golden Deer to do my official run. And yeah, I feel like exactly what you were saying about this game being special in the way that it really shows you different perspectives. And when you think that there might be, you know, this terrible evil villain, stereotypical, like everything they do is bad, you actually get to see their perspective and understand their motivations, which, like you said, I think is something special to this game. Right. Nobody is the hero is the villain of their story. Right. But you're probably the villain in a bunch of people's. <laughs> if you put it, you know, it's just like so there's there's all kinds of, uh, of ways to view everything. I think it's super neat. Yeah, absolutely. I, I started with the Blue Lions, um, fell deeply, madly in love with all of them. And <laughs> now, um, for the same reason, I, I needed to understand what was going on with Edelgard. I knew there was more there. Um, and so now I'm playing through the eagles but i actually just ended up recruiting all of the blue lions uh-huh. because i was i was too upset <laughs> to not have them with me um and i know that you and caleb both have kind of an interesting perspectives on on the recruiting process because i think one thing that's really unique about this game is that even if you're not playing one of the other houses you can still engage with all of the other students um and I don't know, I think there are pros and cons to that, of course. Yeah, I think it's about what you're looking to experience with the game. When I decided to do the Black Eagles route, I said that I wasn't going to recruit anyone. I think I made uh, I made one or two exceptions. I think I recruited Lysithia and I recruited Mercedes. Uh, and purely from like, I would like to see certain narrative arcs develop um, that I wouldn't get a chance to see otherwise. But I cut it off there because when you go through a run and you just recruit everybody, right? There are no more choices to make. At that point, you're fighting orcs, right? You're fighting Trollocs if you're a Will of Time fan. They're just these faceless soldiers that you're like, okay, whatever. Not that big of a deal. But if you've got to go fight your friends, if you've got to go fight the people that taught you, the people that made you who you were, that's some emotional, powerful content that I think that you're missing out on if you're just like, well, no, I want to save everyone. The reality of it is that you can almost never save everyone. So um, I think, I don't want to say it's a watered down version of the game because when I played Golden Deer, I recruited a bunch of people and it was fun to see everybody interact. But the second time I was like, okay, let's, um, let's feel that tension. I want to feel that tension between the ideals and the relationships. Uh, you know, these are people who I shared a meal with for, you know, ostensibly a year or however long the academy phase lasts. And uh, now I have to go and and kill them. Crap. Like that's 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 powerful storytelling. Uh, and I wanted to I wanted to experience that. And I wanted to put my chat through pain. And honestly, that's the important part. That's the important part. <laughs> <laughs> By the time that I was first watching that you had brought up that perspective and it was making me think um i was like multiple runs deep i'm at almost 700 hours and i'm currently on my ninth run nice (laughs) so this run i actually uh again i i gave myself a one person specifically from um each other house where i did uh 
the specific run is Blue Lions, so I chose Dorothea from Black Eagles and I think uh, Hilda um, on Deer, and was specifically like to see those interactions with that, and it's like already starting to see some of the conflicts take shape is interesting and intense. But my first run ever was the church route. I accidentally missed the chance to side with Edelgard um, on my very first run, which was Black Eagles. So Edelgard revealing herself as the Flame Emperor completely blindsided me, for one thing. My best unit um, left my party, and so I immediately had to, like, even from the gameplay end of it, like, force myself to adapt around that. It took me a, a day or two to, like, wrap my head around what had just happened. It was absolutely, like, this uh, massive and, I think, huge conflict with it. Yeah, the power comes from the relationships that you had. Like, an analogy I'll use is, let's take the the episode three Star Wars, right? So the end scene with uh, Anakin fighting Obi-Wan. What if Obi-Wan had just recruited Anakin and then it was replaced with some, <laughs> like, random Sith person? <laughs> What's the story there? Like, does that, like... Oh no, it's a bad guy. Like, which was a more powerful fight, Darth Maul or Anakin? Anakin. You know, like that was that was a more powerful scene by far. One was just like some sort of random bad guy. And then one of them was like his best friend. And I think Fire Emblem offers us the opportunity to experience that drama and tension. Yeah. Just you are my brother. I loved you. Mm -hmm. And then he just takes him with him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. It. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> now you say that way, I guess. <laughs> I guess Order sixty six was a bad idea. <laughs> Go figure. Um, I am curious, Joe. You said you ended up uh, recruiting Mercedes and uh, Lysithia. How did you make those decisions on those two? Um, just being bullied by my chat. It was. <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, why was it? I think Mercedes was because of the the death knight relationship which hasn't unfolded for me yet so i don't i don't know what that is and um lysithia i can't remember what it was why did we recruit lysithia did she, oh i think does she have an interesting relationship with edelgard yes okay that that might have been it i think in defense of your chat i do think the other thing that this means is going to happen. And I don't even know if I've uh, played this in the game, but it's just a thing that crossed my mind. This also means that at some point, uh, Mercedes and Annette are going to have to kill each other. And yep. so that's going to be a thing. Yep. My heart is breaking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. All right. We're going to keep this conversation going, but first a quick break. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My follow-up question, I guess, for uh, for you, Joe, would be, are there any characters that were difficult for you to choose not to recruit? Or that you anticipate being painful when you uh, actually have to go up against them later? Um... I think I was kind of committed to the idea enough that like I wasn't like, oh, man, it's it so sucks that I can't watch Lawrence smell his hand this whole time uh, or something like that. You know, it's just like I, I was I was ready for it. So, no, I don't think I had like. I don't know, maybe it's because I have a cold, dead heart. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. Um, I think that uh, this Obviously, it highlights kind of a, a sad part of the game um, and the relationships that, that we build and then sometimes need to question and pull apart. Um, but one of the most lovely parts of the game and the relationships is, of course, tea time. And uh, Joe, we were wondering if you would be willing to join us for a quick tea time. I accept your invitation. Wow, thank you so much. Um, we have some Elmiran pine needles here for you. Fantastic. I assume your favorite. So uh, our first question for tea time. I am interested in hearing about what you think about Claude's ending. And his epilogue seems intentionally vague. So in your head, what does Claude do after the main story when he returns to Elmira? My head cannon for what Claude does when he goes back. Um... I imagine he's got a lot of work to do at home to even convince his nation of people. First of all, I imagine he's probably going to go home and be like, okay, fine, I'll be the leader. And then uh, he's got a lot of work to do at home to be like, hey, these uh, these people on the other side of Fodlin's throat, they're okay. You should probably come over and, and we can we can make this work. Because I, I, I guarantee you that Everybody in Elmira has many of the same doubts as the people on the other side do about integrating. Um, there's, you know, everywhere you go, there's a strong sense of othering everywhere. And uh, he probably has a, just as much work in Elmira to get them ready to sort of like open borders and, and be one big happy Fodlin as he did on the other side. So I imagine he does uh, a, long, a long string of, I, I don't even know campaigning I, I don't know how he would do it but i would say that's that's probably what, what he's going to try to do if i was claude i'd probably be sending ambassadors to the other side to start filling in political functions for um and then uh, vice versa as well welcoming people from all like fargus into Elmira as ambassadors etc and you married claude in your playthrough of the golden deer right i did how would you feel about that ending? Like he just goes off to Elmira and now you, Byleth, you're just living in two separate countries. I don't know. Maybe I have codependency issues, but I was like, why are you leaving me? Yeah, I don't know. Like, welcome to being a military spouse, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, that that struck me like I was like, really, you're going to you're going to like commit to this person and then like just leave at the very least be like, look. I want to commit, but I can't because all I'm going to do is leave and I'll come back later when like it's 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 the right time. I'm not sure. At the very least, because I mean, to my memory, Byleth wasn't going to like wear the crown. She had no ties anywhere. So why not be like, hey, babe, you want to come to Elmira? 
Like, why didn't he ask that question? Why wasn't he like, hey, you want to go on like a honeymoon to my homeland? There was like, Violet didn't have like, it's not like she had taxes to file or something like that. Just come with, go with her. You got a wyvern, fly out there. He didn't even extend the invite. He was just like, bye. That was the weird part. It's just a bye. (laughs) So yeah, that was was my big problem with the, the S support is like, there's zero reason for Byleth to remain in Fodlin. Just go. So I guess the uh, the second question, and this is the one that like I was most curious about, is there a specific moment in the game that you, as someone who brought as much as you did to the story and character, feel particularly proud of? So like Claude, it is best or most interesting. Like less in a sense of your favorite line, but more specifically like you feel proud that you were able to bring that to the game, if that makes sense. One of the most difficult parts of Claude was transitioning him from academy to war phase. And I'm not saying that like Chris and Tara had it easy because they didn't. They both had very difficult things to do, but their lines were very clear. Like Chris, before like you went to the academy and you were a nice boy and now you're crazy. You know, like there's, it's just, it's so easy to like say, okay, well, here's A and here's B. They're very, very different. Same thing with Edelgard. It's like, okay, you were, you're a pleasant student who's a little uptight. Now you're an emperor, like getting ready to conquer the nation. Whereas Claude was like, okay, academy phase, you're kind of a sarcastic, wise guy who wants ever to be nice to each other. And then in the war phase, you're still kind of a sarcastic guy who wants everybody to be nice to each other. <laughs> so like walking that line and trying to figure out like, okay, I want, I want five years of growth for Claude, but I want him to still very much be that like water off a duck's back kind of guy. Um, that was very difficult to do. Uh, and I think, I, I think I walked the line pretty well. I was proud of what I did there. And I had a lot of help from, from Patrick just trying to figure out like, okay, this is still Claude, but five years wiser. Um, he didn't have a big, you know, catalyst. He wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to conquer the world or, you know, like now I'm, uh, I lost an eye and, and nobody knows how. Um, <laughs> and so it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting line to walk and I was happy with, with how I did it. And your third question for tea time. I'm curious, who's your favorite side character? So this is like non-recruitable or like non-student. Who's your favorite character in the game that you don't actually play in any of the houses? Like if I don't say gatekeeper, the internet gets so mad. <laughs> but let me know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my pitch on the gatekeeper because I do it. I do it a lot. Like, right. OK, great. Gatekeeper had one job. He had one job. Keep the gate. <laughs> What happens twice in like the first half of the game? <laughs> the gate gets breached. There's assassins in the basement. And then the castle gets taken over. So like, whatever. <laughs> legend, they choose your own legends, gatekeeper. Sucking at your job. <laughs> I love bragging on gate. It's like one of my favorite things to do because everyone gets yeah. so mad. Everyone gets so mad. Because <laughs> he's a, a precious cinnamon roll. Um... <laughs> As far as like a non-playable, non-recruitable character that's like my favorite, who's my favorite? This this is actually a really interesting question. And, and like I could I could give you the Mimi answer, which is like, I want to be the, the the shopkeeper that Keith Silverstein plays. You have a good eye. Like uh 
But uh, maybe the sauna boss. I had a feeling you'd pick sauna. Yeah, boss. the sauna boss. He's just like it doesn't. He doesn't make any sense. He's very intimidating. Uh, it just it doesn't make it feel like you're. It's like a warm, fuzzy, welcoming sauna. It makes it feel like a different kind of place. That's a higher ESRB rating than Fire Emblem. <laughs> Incredible. Great answer. That was a perfect tea time. Perfect tea time. Amazing. Please don't stare like an inch away from my face. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Where can people keep up with your work or find you on social media? So uh, there aren't many Joe Zijas in the world. So pretty much if you just type that in anywhere, you're going to find me. I'm at at Joe Zija on YouTube, Insta, Twitch pretty much everything. Um, the YouTube channel is about to pop off. I'm about to put some neat stuff on there. So I'm really excited about a couple of projects, one of which is Fire Emblem related, actually, um, that I'm hoping to kind of come out with as uh, in the next couple of months. So Crazy. yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm everywhere. Come hang out on Twitch. Come, come check out YouTube. Tweet at me. I love getting art on Twitter. So at me, if you're an artist, I love you all. You're incredible people. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. This is fun. That about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate, review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow the show. Um, be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Check out our YouTube page for bonus videos and highlights. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.